Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Feelin' Film Podcast, where we dive into a film each and every week with a laid-back, often fun, and sometimes, but not always and often, insightful conversation. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me, as always, is my best friend and a man who I do believe would help me build a house with his own bare hands in the middle of the Italian Alps if I asked him to. Patrick. I would, and I would probably be the handyman to your master, whatever, because I am I suck when it comes to home home updates and things like that. So I rely on my wife. She's the <laughs> master of the house, and so I would definitely defer to you when it comes to building a house in the middle of nowhere in the Italian Alps. Somewhere. So that would make me the builder and you the laborer, but I think yes. you would fail miserably because I am at not at all mechanically inclined either so we would not have a house at the end of this exercise patrick we would have a bunch of misplaced wood like someone who put together a house without the directions (laughs) to their ikea house is what would the the donkeys carrying the materials out would probably get more done than we would we would we might struggle to get back and forth up with the donkeys like i mean there's there's like a whole lot anyway there's like yeah yeah um yeah (laughs) Okay, well, (laughs) this week we are getting to a film that debuted at Cannes in 2022 and co-won a jury prize, actually with a movie about donkeys called EO, if I remember correctly, come to find out. Um, I saw this at Sundance in January of this year, 2023, and it was my favorite of the festival and has been the movie that I think about the most all year long. So I'm really excited to get to chat about it in depth. It's called The Eight Mountains, and it is an adaptation of a Paolo Cognetti novel set in the Northwest Italian Alps. I read the novel this weekend, actually, uh, pretty short, and I wanted to have that uh, in the bag for comparison purposes. It's also very good, but I think the movie's better. It changes some things and expands on some things in a really good way, I think. Uh, the film is directed by, co-directed, actually, by a husband and wife team. Uh, Felix Van Groingen and Charlotte Vandermeersch. It was actually her first work directing anything. And it explores the lifelong friendship of two boys who meet on a mountain one summer. Anyway, if you haven't seen it, turn away now and go watch it. It is on the Criterion channel, streaming there. And they announced it will be coming out in on a Blu-ray. I believe in November is when it's due to release. I've already pre-ordered it, but it, it is on its way. Um, if you decide to wait for physical media and listen then. But yeah, come back after you've seen it and listen to this spoiler-filled conversation. And with that, off we go. All right, so Patrick, I have probably done the thing that I shouldn't do, which is I have talked about this a lot and probably overhyped this movie. So this is my reckoning hour, and I am fully prepared for whatever comes out of your mouth. But... I'm really curious to know what your initial reaction to this was. Well, international films, as they're called now, they're not foreign films anymore, are always going to be a tough pill to swallow for me. And not because I don't like subtitles. You know, give me some anime. I can read the subtitles. Obviously, I would prefer English dubs because of the fact that my eyes go up and down. And when you have a story that's not, that's driven by dialogue. 
it makes it makes for a challenge that did not take away from my enjoyment of the movie. I spent this afternoon two and a half hours in my freshly painted office watching it by myself because I knew that this was one of the movies that you kind of preface by saying, spend time with it. Don't have your phone. Obviously, when you're doing a foreign film, excuse me, international film, you can't have your cell phone out because you got to read. And so I had my cell phone down. I think at one point I paused and texted you about a moment when they were building the house. I was like, hey, uh, <laughs> did you do this yesterday when you were when you were hiking? Because I felt like you And did. then you also said, but, this guy looks like Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> yeah, with both true statements. Very, very true statements, you know. So, <laughs> Rodgers! <laughs> it's like, is he going to do an insurance commercial here in a minute? No. So that was probably the only time that I, I picked my phone up because I, I took a break. Uh, it is, I mean, it's two and a half hours. But I think what I what I pulled from this is that it's very meticulous in terms of the story it's telling. It's very intimate. It kind of wants you to feel that kind of weight that these two individuals are are experiencing over the course of forty plus years. It's it reminded me a lot of boyhood and that it takes place over the a long period of time. Also reminded me of Free Solo because it's got some insanely looking cinemagra- cinema cinematographic whoa cinematography. I don't know if there's a word there, but it is now. And and so all that stuff just kept me into the movie. And there were times when it when it just kind of lulled a little bit because it's very much not about the things that are being done. It's about the people that are involved in the things. And Pietro and Bruno really put you in a position where you just are spending time with them. I, I like the fact that the movie gives us Pietro's point of view. It's not him and Bruno. That would be an interesting take if you saw both. But it reminded me that it wasn't specifically about their friendship. It was, it was more specifically about Pietro and his reaction to response to this ongoing friendship that kind of leads us throughout their life and to a place where I, I left my office uh, after I finished and my wife was like, how was it? I was like, well, it was kind of sad. <laughs> and she's like, are you going to cry? I was like, no, 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 it wasn't like that. But it's a, it's a satisfying experience because it's not like things that we're watching today. Yeah. We've talked before about the latest and greatest Marvel stuff, DC, and we're kind of marveled out. We're DC'd out. It's all big and blockbustery, and so this takes the independent film flavor. It sprinkles it with Italian Alps and subtitles, and it gives you something that feels like you need to appreciate it more by watching it again. This is a piece of art. This is what we would define as going to the Smithsonian and sitting with it for a while to say, okay, what is this really doing? Picking up on small things here and there, I you know, I think just as a as a side note, I love the tree. I love the the symbolism of this tree that over the course of years and years and years, it has to stay in place in order to flourish, which is very much a symbolic uh, representation of Bruno in some ways, at least my interpretation. And that's the thing is the interpretation of yeah. all this allows the audience or somebody like me to go, okay, yeah, I connect with that man. I was disappointed in that decision that was made, but I get it. And so it's very much kind of self, you know, self uh, reflective in terms of the story of these two guys. And, uh, and overall I really enjoyed it. I thought it was something that 
I think I would appreciate it more if you and I were watching it together because not just because you enjoyed it so much, but because I think this is a film that, you know, we're, we're very unapologetic about our relationship. Our friendship is just very, very tight. And not that we're the two people that are parallel in these lives. And at some point, one of us is going to get stuck in a snowstorm and be eaten by crows. I don't see that happening. <laughs> if it does, it's going to be the guy living on the West Coast. Just saying. But uh, <laughs> anyway, but it it has these themes that are very much like, yep, that that's a that's part of the relationship. Yep, I get that. I can definitely attest to that. And so for me, it was it was really, really good. OK, well, I'm really glad to hear that. That definitely puts me at ease. Uh, I, I mean, I obviously we know each other. We talk about this all the time. I don't highly, highly recommend stuff unless I have a good idea that you're going to enjoy it because I, I want to be thoughtful of your time and I want us to have a good conversations about movies. And if you hate something that <laughs> I love, then there's not a lot to talk about because it's not as fun for us. But uh, so I, I was pretty sure you would, especially just because, you know, I think the tree metaphor being one of them is really good as well, because not only does it probably represent or can represent Bruno, as you pointed out in his staying on the mountain um, for his entire life and growing and flourishing there. But it was Pietro's dad's. I mean, it was part of, it was in the wreckage of this cabin that, that was being rebuilt. And so it's, it's also a symbol of him nurturing this pine tree that is, is like a last relic that represents his father that's gone. And of course we'll talk some about that relationship and, why it would matter some for him to have something like that. But to be able to put that there, it's like his dad gets to be at the cabin, you know, that he was never able to see built and, and experience and joy. And I, and I love all of the little details in this that come up um, like that. I think for me, what, what blows me away about this movie, I mean, I find it just incredibly poignant and incredibly resonant um, both from a relationship standpoint and from a setting standpoint um, because of my personal tastes. But having watched it twice now and read the book and and taken the time to, to fully immerse myself in it, it's pretty special to me um, and largely because of this male friendship. I don't think we get this enough in movies, frankly. I came out of the Sundance and this was my number one takeaway too. We have these two actors, Luca Marinelli and Alessandro Borghi, who actually have worked together before, but they are just phenomenal. Their cast chemistry to me is off the charts. They are 100% believable, and they are best friends. And I'll be honest, Patrick, I have been somewhat kind of, I guess, conditioned is the right word in recent years to the moment that I start seeing any sort of intimacy, and I, and I say that not sexualized intimacy, but intimacy between two men, I, I expect that we're going to you know transition into a homosexual relationship because that is the way that Hollywood and a lot of the world sees men who have love for each other. And for me, this was a Sam and Frodo situation. You know, this is two guys who love each other and struggle with their relationship. It goes through ups and downs, but they 
end up coming back together to make commitments to each other that they keep and they find the need to have each other in their lives. And it has nothing to do with romance and it has nothing to do um, with sexualization. It is just, it is truly what we call best friendship. And it just, I think that that's beautiful and we need that. And to see it over a lifetime like this and not just a snippet. So you get to see the, the, the peaks and the valleys and, I liked that a lot, like going from meeting them as children, seeing the the little times that they might briefly interact in between, and then getting to spend that big chunk of time with them in their mid to late 30s, which is closer to where we are now, um, and, and how their life kind of took that path. And yes, I definitely related it to us in a lot of ways. I'm not going to lie. I, you are still in Arkansas. I'll say this real quick. The Eight Mountains... The name of this movie, if you're not totally familiar with where this comes from, it's very briefly mentioned in the movie. It's actually more explained deeply in the book, but it's this Nepalese legend that the world is formed by eight mountains, uh, surrounded by eight oceans, and then there's the one highest mountain in the middle. And the idea is that some people are born to be wanderers and travel to eight mountains. And others are born to, quote, climb the highest one or to put down roots and strengthen in one place that they become inseparable from. And in a lot of ways, that may not be necessarily our heart's desires, but that resembles our lives. Like I joined the Navy and I've been all over the place <laughs> and you've stayed where we grew up. Um, But even with that, if I was to come home and visit you in our cabin nothing would change about our relationship. It it would be the same. And I feel this movie captures that so well. Yeah. What I, what I enjoy a lot about this movie is, and I won't rehash everything you said. I'm really in agreement with a lot of what you're saying. The peaks and valleys metaphor, uh, pun notwithstanding in terms of that. Didn't even think of that, but yeah, (laughs) I, I, I absolutely agree that there's this knee jerk reaction to today's Hollywood and looking at two men who care deeply about each other and thinking that they have to have some kind of sexual relationship to sort of commiserate it, to make it like, okay, this is what proves that these two men care deeply for each other. When it feels somewhat like a double standard, because you don't see that with women, you have women who are best friends in a lot of movies. Not that that's necessarily accurate. And I can't speak for women to know, hey, is this the best portrayal of female relationships with each other? But I was reminded of, I think it was the penultimate episode of the first season, well, currently the first season, the only season of uh, Welcome to Wrexham, where there's a, there's a, it's kind of dedicated to Rob and Ryan and their relationship. And they call it a bromance. And there's some really great commentary about how Hollywood tends to downplay those kinds of relationships if they're not sexualized, if they're not homosexual in nature, because it's somewhat wrong. Like, oh yeah, bromance. Like we gotta we gotta do the you know the fist bump or the. I think at one point a psychologist uh, she said, yeah, when you when you see men who are hugging each other, they always have their their they're hugging each other with one arm instead of two. It's not like. It's rare or it doesn't happen a lot. And, and she made a joke that, yeah, you're kind of guarding your heart there. You know, you're kind of keeping some space. And, and there's some truth in what she's saying. It's very, I mean, it's played for laughs. 
but it's also speaking some real truth about the fact that it's difficult to portray that in a way that doesn't lean into some kind of agenda. Now, does that exist? Yes, absolutely. Same-sex relationships are very much a part of the world we live in. But when you limit relationships to that, if they're not opposite relationships, in fact, I think it's really interesting that you have more hilarity and more entertainment in guy-girl relationships that don't get together as a way to sort of offset or sort of get rid of like, hey, not every relationship has to be about romance. Like You're exactly right. So watching these two grow up, watching them, I think one of the one of the moments that, that I kind of I I found very adorable was early on in the film, you see them frolicking, like literally frolicking. Like when they're wrestling in and Bruno pins yeah, wrestling. Him. Yeah. Yeah. Like like we're talking like uh like Simba. Kind very of much thing, like where, Simba Nala. well there's a bad metaphor, but yeah, yeah, comparison, yeah, yeah. but yeah, but, but no, yeah, but, but that same kind Simba of thing where there's dead. no, the, there's no hindrance there. There's no sense of like restriction because the innocence is there and that innocence gets taken away as they grow up because you have the death of a father, you have beards being a grown beards. and becoming very main. A plus, a plus beards, beards yes, for and both. A plus names also. I was thinking about this. I, yeah. I don't really want to yeah. be Aaron anymore. Aaron's very boring. I, I like, P, I want to be Pietro <laughs> or a Bruno. Like, okay. can I, can I just change my name? Do I get it? Because you can't, <laughs> I'll make sure to note it in something next week's or Alessandro, the Piet. actor, Alessandro Borghi. Alessandro is so much cooler than okay. Aaron. Like, come on. Alessandro. Well, but that's funny because Bruno gave Pietro a nickname. Didn't he? He, he did, did. He does. Was he, br- he calls him like Brutus or what do you? What did wait? What did you say? Brutus a two Brutus. It is not no, a two Brunet. Uh, he says it no. over and over and over. It's Berio. Berio. Ber- okay. And he actually asks. I don't. Now I'm going to get confused because I read the book this weekend after I rewatched the movie. Of course, that's going to mean that I don't always remember which is which. But either in the book or in the movie, someone does tell him. Pietro asks the question. He's like, "What does Berio mean?" Um, I think he might tell him in the movie as well, but in Bruno's dialect, it means rock. Um, and okay, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he mentions yeah. it. Yeah, in in the movie as well. So when I watch this relationship go through its ebbs and flows, I think what makes it so appealing is the fact that these are things that allow people to have permission to feel these things. It. It gives permission to specifically men who have deep friendships to be vulnerable to each other, to say, listen, I'm really hurting, to to say I'm really mad. Um, things that don't have to necessarily be connectable by sports or by things that are on the, the lighter end of subject matter. I'm a guy who I don't do small talk that well. Like I can I can carry a conversation to an extent. But I don't have a ton of like, like I can talk about baseball, like our pastor, when I talk to him uh, on a regular basis, he's like, I don't know how much baseball stuff, you know, but it seems like you have a lot. It's like, I know a lot about the Braves because I follow them. But if I look at Aaron, Aaron's going to be able to drop into a conversation about Formula One or soccer or baseball or college sports. And it's because you have this depth of knowledge that I don't have that allows you to have connectability to other people. But I think 
and I'm not saying that that's good or bad. What I'm saying is that there's a, for my personality, I can, the, the best relationships I have are ones where I don't have to go through that tunnel of small talk that, hey, how was your week and what's going on? I can drop into a coffee conversation with a friend who shares the same kind of personality that I do and say, man, let me tell you about my week. Okay. <laughs> or what's been good. And it's not, it goes, it bypasses all that. And so I say all that to say that these two characters, Pietro and Bruno, they don't have that stuff that they have to sort of filter through in order to get back to where they are. They can just pick up right where they left off. And that's similar to how our high school friends, the Tat Brotherhood, as we call them, we all met together, sans Aaron, uh, several weeks ago and just picked up right where we left off. We were catching up. We were surprised by things that had been happening over the last several years. Some things didn't surprise us because we kept up in some regard, but it was just good to be together. And there was nothing that we had to kind of fall back on. Yes, we told stories about things that were, but what I found really interesting, Aaron, is that we were talking about the now. We were talking about what are what are you doing now? What's happening? It was like a it was like a class reunion, but without the pomp and circumstance to have to say that you did you're doing something amazing, like with, with honesty. Yeah, people graduate right with uh, vulnerability yes. and honesty. Yeah, and that's what I think plays itself really well in this movie is that you have two individuals who aren't trying to top each other when it comes back, when they come back and eventually start building this house. You know, in fact, both Pietro and Bruno are sort of mourning the fact that, man, life isn't really been so great for them. It's not been bad, but there's nothing, nothing new to report here. You know, Bruno's got this sort of, or Pietro has this sort of budding, but not so much writing career that eventually does take off, but it's not like he's a bestseller at the New York Times necessarily. And then Bruno, he goes back to his roots essentially and becomes a dairy farmer making cheese and having cows and that ends up failing. And so it's it's not the things that bring them together. They come together and do the things. And I think that it's really played out in such a fantastic way with this building of, and I'm going to say their father's house, because that's an interesting component of this story is that both Bruno and Pietro shared a father figure for better or for worse, but they did. They shared the same guy as their father figure coming from, from different places. Yeah. I want to talk about that after I tell you that I Googled what is Aaron in Italian and I'm extremely disappointed to report that it's Aaron. And that sucks. Like that's it. <laughs> it doesn't change. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's basically I'm sure it's like Aaron, like it's Aaron in Spanish. It's no different. I can't even change my own name to make it cooler. Uh, I bet yours is different. Yours is probably like Patricimo or something very, very cool. Well, well you can you can segue us into the <laughs> into what you were gonna talk about while I look at okay. it. And I'll give you a I'll give you All an right. update. So, Sons and Fathers is, yeah, definitely another huge theme here. And the I, I just love the way this is created. We have you know, Bruno, who his dad is absent when he is a young kid of 13 in the Valley of Grana and, and meets Pietro. He is being raised by his uncle, essentially. I believe his mother is still in the picture um, but the father's like off working. He's a construction guy. He's building. Um, he's just not there. And it's really kind of almost, I want to say sad, 
because the way this plays out where the, the one of the scenes is most resonant for me is when they are kids and it's towards the end of their youth phase in the movie. And Pietro learns that his parents have offered to pay to bring Bruno to Turin and let him come to high school to get educated. And Pietro's having a conversation with Bruno about it. He's like, well, do you want to come? And Bruno's like, I don't know. But, you know, probably my uncle, and he says, does your uncle okay with it? And he says, well, yeah, my parents don't care because your parents are willing to pay for everything. And so it saves them money. And Pietro's response is one of protection and selfishness in a sense. He says something to the effect of, well, you wouldn't like it there. And I think it's a mixture. I think it's a mixture of like, you're an only child. And I grew up as an only child, so I can relate to this. Like if someone was coming in to encroach on my relationship with my parents, I think I would, I would have a little bit of pushback. But he also says like, I don't want the city to ruin Bruno because he sees Bruno as pure and unadulterated and like he's a mountain kid and he will be forever altered if you just make him another kid that lives in the city and so there's like this dual reasoning going on i feel like in that performance from that kid which i think the kid actors are phenomenal too in this and you know ultimately what we find out is as soon as bruno's dad learns about this he comes and gets bruno and hauls him off to become a full-time laborer and worker at 13 on a construction job and does not allow him to go become educated and live with them in Turin. And it's it's a mixture of heartbreaking in one way because I think you feel the pain for him of like what might have been. But then I also, because of the way the movie plays out, I step back from that and I think to myself, is it my right to say that? Like who's to say that that's the better life for Bruno. Maybe Bruno is living his best life. Maybe this is what he's meant to do. I just, I just love yeah. a movie that makes me curious in that way and, and kind of, you know, almost like wrestle with my own feelings about things. Yeah. Did that scene come after the scene at the glacier when Pietro? Oh, yes. To... <laughs> it is yeah, after. Okay. Yeah. So I put those two moments together. And I started picking up on the fact that there's a there felt like a little bit of resentment with Pietro and Bruno's relationship with Pietro's dad. And the movie just sort of <laughs> it surprises me in so many ways because what I expect doesn't happen for the good. So take that scene for instance. You have Pietro's dad on lead, you have this crack in the glacier, and he gets he gets Bruno to to jump. And then Pietro, who'd been struggling earlier as well, struggles again. And I expected his dad to berate him. I expected him to put him down and to really vault Bruno to a place of like, oh, well, this is the son that I really always wanted, the one who could do these yep. things. Instead, he comes down, he jumps down, he holds him. I don't know if he does this for his own benefit, but he mentions altitude sickness. He said that might be what's causing it. And then he lets Pietro take lead going the rest of the way down. And it's 
it's rectified later when Pietro finds his dad's diary and we find out that there's that one entry that he reads in a voiceover how this is going to be the last time that I take lead because my son is getting too big for me to to do this. And there's a sense of like, he's growing up and I don't regret these things that I, I did with him. But I think you couple that with the scene that you mentioned later and it become just like the glacier rift. There's a, there's a crack in their relationship as a result of not only Pietro's dad wanting this for Bruno, uh, but also later on finding out that Bruno had stayed in touch with Pietro's dad. Right. But again, the surprise was not that that became a focal point. It wasn't like they had this monumental falling out. It's as if there was a mutual understanding of the love that he had for both of them. And I think at one point, Pietro mentions as he's writing, as he's voiceover narrating, narrating he says something like, I had two fathers. I had the one that was always Interior. working, and then I had the one that was on the moon. Yeah. And it's it's just in this two and a half hour movie, you've got this father son relationship that plays itself out in a way that's really beautiful. And I love the fact that again, surprising me that they don't fight, that they don't make that a, a point of tension, but that they see that as the moment that Bruno has to go away. It is the end of their childhood friendship. It's not the end of their friendship. And Pietro says something I don't remember specifically, but he says, I felt like Bruno grew up a lot quicker and I didn't grow up fast yeah. enough because it, it plays itself out where you see him as a, as a teen and then as an older gentleman. And then eventually, you know, he sees Bruno coming in, they give that little nod and it's, it's just there. It's almost like there's no regret in this, but there is a sense of loss. Like, wow, I didn't realize that we were different. I didn't realize that I, we had to give up something. When you left Bruno, I knew that things were going to be different, but I didn't think things were going to be lost. And they weren't really. It's like, it's just this, it's a different way of approaching this friendship where I don't feel like things were ignored. Like they should have settled this stuff with their dad, with his dad, or they should have settled this thing with, you know, why did you leave or why didn't you fight and things like that? But more so of like, okay, these moments, this moment when you left created a defining moment for you and for me. And I think honestly, Aaron, this is where you get the two, the the metaphor of the eight mountains. You get the the central mountain where Bruno eventually is metaphorically. And then you get the traveler in Pietro who in some ways need their friendship to sort of push them out so that they can continue to be exactly who they are. But it starts in that moment when I think Bruno leaves to go with his dad. I think you're absolutely right. I love the nuance in that too. And I'm I'm so glad you pointed out that his dad, he seems really gruff with Pietro. Like he's not h harsh or abusive, but he seems cold sometimes and so you, I too fully expected him to be admonish him and be like, what's wrong with you? Jump over the glacier, you, you know, pathetic kid. And it, it warmed me up when he like jumps back immediately and is caring. And he's like, he's our normal dad. He's like, oh my gosh, is my son okay? But the voiceover, as soon as that scene ends, is Pietro saying, that was the last time that I hiked with my dad. Like he, and so you know that though he took care of his son and got him home, 
his dad learned that at that age, there was not a passion for what he wanted to do. And Pietro was not in a position to be able to join him in, in fulfilling the things that he wanted to do together. And there's the movie oscillates between these moments of like, there's a, a moment of, of beauty and relationship and there's a moment of sadness and loss like because of that what didn't get to happen and then it comes back up to another moment of beauty when they're building the cabin and it's been several days or weeks or whatever and pietro has found that map which again there's another kind of a moment of regret and sadness i feel i feel heartbroken for him when i'm like when he realizes like oh all these lines are my dad and Bruno. And like, I didn't get that. Then you, you get over the selfish aspect of it. And you think about, oh, but man, I'm so glad they had each other. Like my dad wasn't alone. He didn't have to experience it by himself. And then it goes up again when he's with Bruno in the cabin. And he's like, you know, there's my, that mountain up there, that peak up there. And I, and I love this aspect of their friendship. Bruno says, go. And this is one thing that I think is something that we can relate to as as such close friends too, is like they encourage each other to pursue their passions. They don't try to change who each other is. They don't frequently tell each other that they need to live their lives differently. And Bruno's like, go now. He, and he's like, well, no, I'll go after work or I'll go on Sunday. And Bruno's like, go, I'm giving you the day off. Go to the mountain. And, and I'm telling you, in my mind, I feel so strongly. Bruno knows in that moment. He's like, Pietro has a spark. And you need to capitalize on the spark when it's there. Go. Because you may not feel this way next Sunday, right? And, like, you need to take the opportunity. And it's, I mean, it's just such a incredibly, like, payoff of a moment for me personally, at least. When he, when he climbs that mountain and he gets to that peak and he... He gets up there and he's screaming, Bruno, Bruno. And you get the smile on Bruno's face when he kind of shakes his head as he sees him up there and hears him. And that's where it starts. That's when Pietro changes. And he's like, man, this is what I want to do. I want to experience all of these different places like my father did. And all of a sudden, he's naturally grown into this man that has a similar passion as his dad did even though he didn't have it at the same time that his dad did when his dad was alive yeah and again it re just reinforces that idea of permission bruno is giving pietro permission to pursue to not have regrets about what was but to as a result of being inspired by bruno and this relationship he had with his dad to be able to give him this thing that was in him the whole time. So that that's that's exactly the point you're making, which is Bruno's not trying to get Pietro to become a mountain man. He's not trying to get him to live on the mountain with him. In fact, I I think it was he kind of makes fun of really him. like he I, it's, he's kind of like you're not cut out. Like he's you're a city boy, right? He's like yeah, you, you can come visit. Well, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. well, even when they're when they're doing the constructing, uh, I think it's I think it's Bruno who says, "Listen, I'm not going to make a two hour." donkey ride up and down both ways you know four hours out of the day i'm gonna stay here you're welcome to go home and then every saturday i'm gonna go home and i'm gonna sleep in my own bed and i'm gonna do it all over again and it takes i guess you know two or three months as they're building it for pietro to finally say yep i'm going to go up there and i'm gonna live live there 
not because it's practical necessarily. I mean, yes, it is practical. It's again, four hours of your day is spent leading a donkey that eventually runs away around the mountain, which I think is hilarious to watch. But it's also because you recognize that something important is happening up on this mountain. This building of the house has now become their sacred spot. Like this is where we're going to be. It became their summer place. Like the, like the, the town that, that Bruno was living in or the place that he, I the Alpeggio, called, which is what he Thank brought you. back yep. to life. Yeah. Where he grew up. Yeah. And this house became that place for them. And that's the other thing that I thought was really beautiful is the commitment they have to come back. Like every summer they're coming back. This is their summer home, this, this romantic summer home where it's, and it's not just about them. Like again, more surprises. I fully expected when I saw this group of men and women, Bruno and Pietro, and like, what? There's girls. And it's like, I thought the He-Man Woman Haters Club was here, and now you're, you're inviting girls in. No, these are friends that they've made, and there are relationships that are happening. But nothing is being taken from this place that is sacred to both of them. It changes because it includes other people that are important to them. It includes Bruno's wife who comes up and is part of this, but they're not necessarily like openly sharing it with everybody. It's at its core. It's still their place. It's still Pietro and Bruno's place. And ultimately it's Bruno's place by the time we get to the end of the movie, but Pietro stays there with him for a while. And it's, it's, I love how it starts and it ends its life cycle as a, as a home, as a house. It starts with them building it and then it's destruction ultimately comes after Pietro leaves and it's just Bruno there. But in its life cycle, you have other people that are connected to these two individuals that don't taint it and make it something else. It's not, it doesn't become a frat house. It always stays what it is. It just invites others to experience it with it in tertiary ways. And I love that because it, it never loses its identity of what it is to them. Like it is a it is a place where they go, a place of refuge during the summer, and it's a place of commitment, a place of promise, a place that they know will in their minds will always be there until it's ultimately not, which it has its has its lifespan too. You know, not everything can can live forever. And I think I don't know if it's Pietro or Bruno that that mentions that the mountain eventually takes it as well, that even though Bruno yeah. says this mountain has been good to me. It's never put me in danger, but eventually that has to happen. Yeah, I think, in fact, I think that there's another specific line about it. The I think he mentions the crows or something. There is definitely a somewhat of a foreshadowing about the crows and him. What is also beautiful to me in the symbolism of this movie is like he is being, he is feeding the mountain. He is returning him, his body is, nourishing the ecosystem that has nourished him like it is a cycle right of life and death and nature um and i thought you know it's kind of disturbing at first when you see it you're like oh god is that crow what is that crow eating <laughs> but but when you you know kind of look at it, it it makes sense i you know the eight mountains the idea of what makes a good life do you have a belief here at all do you think that one is better than, you know, do you think that making cheese and fighting with the bank to keep things the old way? I'll say this. It's interesting to me. 
and I don't know if you picked up on this, but age-wise, Patrick, they are in their mid-30s in about 2007. Like, this movie does not feel like it is set in 2007 because of where we see them in the Alps and then in Nepal, the primary locations. But that kind of put in perspective for me a lot better when I imagined what Bruno is trying to do and the struggle that he's having in just making cheese by hand the hard way and why that's not being successful to him. Do you, you know, taking the next question or about how far do you commit to that out of the question? Do you see anything wrong with that? Like if that's just as worthy of a lifestyle as traveling the mountains of Nepal and writing about it. hundred percent. I mean, if there is, if there is no restriction in terms of allowing that lifestyle to exist financially or otherwise go for it because i think the fact is this movie depicts an idea that happiness and how you define it the passion that you feel for life doesn't have to look like your brothers it doesn't have to look like your best friends and if you're denying that i think it takes it one step further and say if you're denying that if you're trying to establish a different life for someone else than what they should have, and I put that in my mental air quotes, you're doing a disservice to that person. So when we see Pietro on that mountain and he's yelling and he realizes, hey, I want to travel. I want to do this. And we see him in the coffee shop in, uh, I think it's in Nepal, eating that little, drinking a little espresso that's like like an inch wide and whatever. And he he meets, uh, I guess, his future future wife um nisma i believe is her name but yes i think so and and they share that little that little banter about how how they say certain words and uh backwards yeah osme sorry yeah it's it's neat because he wouldn't have gotten that had he chosen the life of a mountain man now for for bruno the life that he chose making cheese milking cows and and being a homesteader that's absolutely completely uh noble and for him if it's the life he wants yes at the same time it's the early 2000s you have to adapt i mean you have to be able to make money and pay your bills and to fight against that for the sake of simplicity i don't think that's a smart move because you have to be able to adjust in some regard you've got you've got a place though you've got a homestead in the mountains. It's not like you have to go live in the city to do this stuff necessarily. At least I didn't pick up on that. There are ways to do it. It just requires some industrialization. And to me, that can get dangerous because now you're not willing to compromise for the sake of living out your your best, best life. I don't like using that phrase, but living out a life that is about what you desire. And And I think this movie shows us that you have to be able to adjust. You have to be able to temper your expectations and readjust what those expectations are. So for me, if I'm Bruno and I'm married and I have a have a child and I want to make cheese and milk cows and have a farm, I can stay exactly where I am, but I have to be able to be smart about that particular life, knowing that it's going to require some industrialization. It's going to require some machining. And if it comes at the at the expense of me losing that, that's when I would have to have a question about it. But in terms of pursuing that, no, I a hundred percent that that's what makes you happy. Go ahead and do it. We got people that have tiny houses and they love it. We got people living out of vans and they love it and it's satisfying to them. I am not going to 
at all be disappointed with someone who wants that that lives that out yeah i so i fully agree with you uh i think you know it is definitely shown to be it doesn't matter what you do whatever you're doing whatever your life is whatever your passion is you should pursue that as as long as it is not encringing on others that is my belief just and i think that's what you were saying as well so it is as long as it is only impacting yourself then anything is really fair game at that point i i also just a quick tangent i love that the movie depicts kind of between them and then also with pietro's dad this idea that it doesn't really matter if you love the mountains because you grew up in them like bruno or if you're just visiting them over the summer because you're living in the city i i personally take that really strongly because i didn't grow up in the mountains but like you know you and i have climbed pinnacle mountain in arkansas this is not like everest but every time i've ever climbed a mountain of any kind and any size it is it is equally satisfying like the moment of of coming out on a peak of any kind and, and realizing you have summited and understanding what you've accomplished there's something really powerful in that and just and just being out in nature and whether you're climbing a mountain or just walking along the valleys of grana amongst the italian alps you know swimming in the the river or the lake that's down there that's made from glacier water in the winter or whatever, like just being out there, there's something so calming and refreshing. I went hiking this weekend twice just because I was like so in the mood and I has like, I haven't been and I've got to get out there. And it, it reset me. It really did. Because then when I come back to the city, I, I want to live here. I want to do my podcasting. I need my electronics. I need my TV and my surround sound system and my video games. I love that stuff. But I live in a place where I have the ability to then go out, where I can travel. And I don't think that makes me any different or, or lesser of a of a mountain lover than Bruno, right? Who maybe wants to live yeah. his life there. Now I'll tangent back because <laughs> I don't know where I got there. But with the the fact of his decision making, it leaves me in a very sad state at the end of this movie because I frankly i am judging him some and i have an empathy for him having lost his life but essentially to me it is him committing a stubborn suicide like he knows what is probably going to happen to him it he, he i don't be, i do not get the sense in the performance that this is a character that truly truly believes he's going to be fine i think he has a good idea and has made peace that if he dies this way so be it but that is selfishly depriving his daughter of a dad and that is where i draw the line that's where i get frustrated is when you you can't want something so badly that you've already you have once you've brought another child into this world or once you've decided to get married but especially once you've brought a child into this world that depends on you like you lose the right to only get what you want. It, it no longer becomes priority one. It has to come only with the caveat of you get what you want if it's also what's best for your child. <laughs> and I will always yeah. say that. I'll always champion that. I'm not saying this movie is making a commentary on that. This is one of the things I love about this film and this story is I don't think it's making a commentary on anything like that. I love it for that reason. It's just showing us people being people 
But that is something that makes me sad at the end of this because not just because Pietro is losing his best friend, but because I know that out in town is Laura, his wife, and his daughter, who's a toddler, that loved him and will now never have him again because he was unable to go from the old world to the new and adapt. It's almost like a mental health problem, honestly. Yeah, I was reminded sort of loosely about the quote, the famous quote from um, Walden, the Thoreau, I think, poem, essay, and it's used uh, very famously in Dead Poet Society. And he says, I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life, and see if I could not learn what it had to teach, and not, when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. I did not wish to live what was not life, living is so dear nor did I wish to practice resignation unless it was quite necessary. I wanted to live deep and suck out all the marrow of life. I'm not saying that Bruno had this paragraph of text in his head when he did what he did, but I think that if it was there, it's a gross misrepresentation because it assumes that you're by yourself. It assumes that you have no other responsibilities, no other cares in the world. Um, I was also reminded, based off what you said, when my wife and I got married 15 years ago, one of the most amazing things that was said to us, and it still sticks with me, is we were in premarital counseling, or maybe it came across from in our, in our wedding day, but I remember our pastor saying specifically, if you're looking for your soulmate, if that's what you strive for, the moment you get married, that's your soulmate. And what he was doing was he was making a point that when it comes to biblical marriage, when it comes to commitment, that's what it is. Your soulmate becomes who you are choosing to spend the rest of your life with because you're committed to them. You're not committed to the idea of a great marriage and romance and all this stuff. You're committed to the person, good, bad, or indifferent. And so when I look at the relationship between Pietro and Bruno, obviously I don't see a marriage, but I do see a committed relationship, one that is with its highs and lows, with its grief and and cheering all the things that come with a deep friendship that gives it meaning because if you're fighting all the time and there's no reprieve, there's no genuineness there's no laughter, there's no connectivity, then what's the point? But if you're laughing all the time, if you're, Hey, that's the person I hang out with because I just, I just need to laugh. Well, that seems a little bit selfish too, because now you've got a one dimensional relationship with somebody and what we see with both Bruno and Pietro is that they did live that life together, even as they were apart. And seeing these kind of two quadrants of their child relationship and their adult relationship side by side, what we see is that throughout their lifespan, they committed to each other because they cared deeply for each other. They loved each other enough to say, this doesn't matter how you feel or or not, not not that you don't matter, but all the things that we work through as friends, it doesn't overstep and it doesn't like, it's not superseded by, it's superseded by our deep friendship. In other words, their, com their commitment to each other is on full display here, even to that last moment when Pietro is sad, but it's like he's under, like the facial expression he makes when he hears, when he's on the phone he is sad, but he's also understanding because he gets it. He knows that the choice that Bruno made may not have been sort of a weird suicide, 
but it was just a choice and that Bruno didn't see it that we didn't see it. I was like, I'm going to end my life because it's not worth it. No, I think he, I think Bruno thought he was sucking the marrow of life out by living here to a point where it became his detriment. And so the sadness that I felt just like you was also coupled with a sense of understanding. And so I think that's what Pietro felt is that he understood, but it was still heartbreaking because he lost his best friend and because he knew that something could have been done, but this was always going to be the path that Bruno went down. And to accept it, I think, I don't know if it's appropriate to accept it, but I think that's what he ended up doing. Pietro, I mean, yeah, he's accepting that. I think that's a a fantastic way to put it. Um, I, I don't even want to try and add to that because i think you articulated it wonderfully i i do have a question about what you thought of just in general i think you briefly mentioned maybe the photography you know this is all shot on location i i think it's absolutely stunning and just gorgeous and does such an incredible job of making you feel like you're there the high up shots the helicopter shots that are pulled back of people on mountain peaks I can never get enough of those personally. Like I, I watch every movie that has mountains in it for that very reason. It just is inspiring to me. Um, and then I personally really love the musical score slash soundtrack to this. This is a longtime collaborator. And the story goes that the director was actually trying to find someone else to score the film and nothing was really coming that, that, you know, he commissioned some work and nothing really hit. And then they ended up, re-listening to this guy's old pre-recorded like songs he'd ever he'd already made like albums not even score music and they were like well this is perfect can we just use this and this composer like i forgot what nationality is he he is so i'm not gonna guess but i think he's nordic somewhere in the nordic countries and he like lives out in a cabin like he's a recluse and doesn't want to let people like use stuff and so he was really almost reluctant to let him do it but then he finally gave in and I thought it was perfect. Like I just thought the the whole package was uh, just an immense like success to like immerse me in this particular world, and that is what made the pacing work for me. So you know, yeah, it's right at two and a half hours. I think it's just a nudge maybe below it or whatever. But it for me, I didn't get the feeling that I get in so many two and a half hour movies where I was like, Oh my God, what's going to happen? Is it going to end? Is it going to end? Let's get to the end. Let's get to the end. Because I just genuinely enjoyed each story beat and progressive moment in the relationships and all that photography and music that was kind of, would come in at the perfect moments, like really amplified it for me personally. I just didn't know if you had any thoughts on that. No, it's, it's beautiful. And I think what it does is it creates vignettes of this whole That's story. a great way just to like put these it little yeah. pockets yeah where you have just situation see it's not just scenes but it's like this is the story of this moment this is the story of this moment and like in in some tv shows one of the things i've i've really enjoyed uh, my wife and i are of one of the many billions of people watching suits on netflix right now but one of the things that they do at the end of each episode to sort of cap off the episode, like if something dramatic has happened, is they'll slow-mo a bunch of stuff, but they'll also put in like a great non-popular folk song or pop song or something to sort of tell you, okay, this is what we're in for. This is kind of thematically how we're wrapping this up. In some ways, I felt that way in this movie. You had these songs 
that were not Italian, <laughs> that were English, accenting these pieces of like, okay, we're ending this part, we're starting this part, we're ending this part, we're starting this part. And it helped the pacing for me because it was like I could breathe. Okay, let's move forward. It also created logical stopping points for me to say, okay, I'm going to go to the bathroom now. And as someone who complains about the length of movies, you know, the crotchety old man of the of, of this uh, podcast, it didn't feel long. It felt, you know, well-paced and definitely slower burn than what I'm used to with your big blockbusters. But it was on par with things like like your Christopher Nolans that are just sort of moving things forward a little bit here at a time. And so it was good. And I think if you hadn't had that music with the cinematography, things that sort of distracted you visually and orally, it may have felt a little bit more like, eh, why, why do I care about this? But that's why you have those other theatrical components that have to live there. And I, I don't think, honestly, if you if you didn't place this in the Italian Alps and the beauty that what we got, it wouldn't have felt nearly as compelling because it's a big story. It takes place over decades and metaphorically, the the mountains are big. Like if it was just a small village, it's me visiting you and, and these guys Little are Little Rock or Sherwood. <laughs> yeah, it's just not com- it's not yeah. compelling enough. Yeah, and the mountain is something to be conquered. The mountains are something to be explored, and that to me is very metaphorical of friendship. That friendship evolves, it changes. The terrain of a mountain changes, and so if you go back, like I loved seeing Pietro go back up to the top of that mountain where his dad was buried. Like something that we got familiar with because they'd gone there, I think, twice. Uh, first with him and his dad. Secondly, he brings Bruno and Bruno's like, hey, this is great. And he's like, shut up. We don't talk right now. We can talk when we get there. It's it's those types of things that remind me you need those scenes. You need those settings to be able to to really elevate the, the metaphor of their friendship and how it, it just ebbs and flows and grows and it gets adjusted and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's beautifully shot. I love why. I mean, it's like a travelogue, yeah. only a great story to attach to it. So very. Did you have stuff. any of the other? Like, I got really inspired to just eat bread and cheese. Like, I, <laughs> I actually, I actually <laughs> ate the rest of my. Like, I have a. I always have like loaves of like cheddar cheese for snacks because of keto, uh, in my refrigerator. Yeah. And so like I burned through like the whole i guess not a, a loaf but like a the brick of cheddar cheese i had and I had to go buy a bunch more and so i was like oh i'm gonna buy a few extra like i'm gonna get some different kinds of cheeses uh to let because i was inspired by you know these homemade cheeses they, they're just sitting out there in a meadow cutting off a piece of cheese and eating off of a chunk of bread and i was just like i can handle that i I wasn't inspired by that as much as I was about the wood stove. Like oh, yeah. I want to be able to make a little, a little thing and, and, you know, toke it with my, with my, with my breath, just go, you know, and like, like, I love that. I love the sound of a fire and the crackling of the wood and it, just the coziness of that, you know, coming back to that house uh, right before he meets, uh, he meets up with Bruno for the first time and in, in years and thanks for starting the fire for me. He's like, I got you fam. Yeah, you know? And it's uh but yeah, I, I want to be the guy who can who can do that. I can just like have a wood stove and be like, I'm going to do That's this. Great. We're going to have wood for, for days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Last but not least, did you figure out your Italian name? What is it? It's Patrizio. Oh, it is cool. See? What the? I'm yeah. so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> if I went with my nickname, though, let me see here. I think it's... Pachissimo. Uh, I'm sure. It's... 
it's hold on let me see if i can hear it rato pari whoa whoa yeah that's yeah. different yeah it that's is cool. right rato pari is patched so <laughs> i need a cool italian name that's my goal i'm gonna or, or pizza if it's a noun oh, i like that too <laughs> Like that's like a good shortened version of it. Like you can have both. Yeah. The cool long and then the short nickname. Anyway, I'm just so jealous. Well, you've got a mountain. That's decline. true. I don't necessarily. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Feeling Film. Thanks everyone for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the uh, the conversation we've had. Please, if you are listening to this, all the spoiler stuff, and you haven't seen the movie, what's wrong with you? Uh, check it out. Criterion Channel's got it. It'll also be available on Blu-ray here in the next couple of months. Definitely worth checking out. I don't know if there's going to be an English dub. I don't no. think there will be for something like Thankfully, this. No. So it, just like Bruno, it stays pure. Yes. It's not going right. to advance itself. So check it out when you can. Aaron, loved it. Thanks for another great conversation. We'll talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filmed.